the rising cost of cardiovascular care can be better managed by cardiologists leading that effort than by hospitals or insurance companies or anybody else leading that effort. Welcome to The Core, a podcast series brought to you by Core Vista Health, pioneering digital health to transform the way cardiovascular diseases are diagnosed. Please welcome today's host, Scott Berger, CoreVista's Executive Vice President and Chief Commercial Officer. Please join me for an interesting discussion with Tim Atterbury, an expert and leader in healthcare and cardiology. Tim previously served as the CEO of the American College of Cardiology and Medaxium. Tim is now the CEO of Cardiovascular Associates of America, which is known as CVA USA. We have an in-depth discussion around transforming the diagnosis and care for patients with cardiovascular disease. Tim, it is so great to see you and thanks for taking the time. Uh, welcome to the core. Happy to have you here. It's great to be here. Great to see you again, Scott. Likewise, likewise. So Tim, you're currently the CEO of CVA USA. Congratulations on the leadership role. Uh, I'm sure things are extremely busy for you. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing currently with CVA USA. Yeah, so um, CVA USA, which is my abbreviation for Cardiovascular Associates of America, but we'll just call it CVA USA, is a startup company that uh, we just launched late last year. But we're building a national network of cardiology groups under one umbrella, CVA USA. Our our thesis is that the rising cost of cardiovascular care can be better managed by cardiologists leading that uh, effort than by hospitals or insurance companies or anybody else leading that effort. So there's a lot of money being spent, as we know, on cardiovascular care in the U.S. I think we all can uh, would attest that it's not always spent efficiently or generating the most value. And so the CVA USA is organizing groups, connecting groups around the country, again, under one umbrella. Our our goal is to support those groups. And our tagline is empowering cardiovascular specialists to transform patient care, because we believe there are a lot of opportunities to improve patient care, quality, safety, cost, access, efficiency. And the people that should be driving that are the cardiologists, and we want to provide the cardiologists with the resources, both capital dollars and intellectual resources they need to transform care in their communities. And as we do that one community at a time, we'll transform care throughout the country. That's that's so impressive. Uh, as I think back, and, and some of my mentors have always said, you just have to focus on the patient. And the, the person who's with the patient is the physician. And the physician is going to know best how to treat and how to help that patient. And it sounds like you're focused directly with those physicians who are, who are sitting next to the patients every day to, to help them with their cardiovascular care. Exactly. And as you know, I know a lot of, know a few cardiologists around the country. Um, one or two, right? One or two. And I've often said, uh, if I'm going to be in a, in a fight, in a foxhole, uh, bring the cardiologist in and, and we'll win because they're not only great clinicians, uh, they're entrepreneurs, they understand the macro system, 
They interact with patients in the acute, the chronic, the hospital, the office, the home. They're, they're really, they have a very unique uh, perspective on healthcare and, and they're very pivotal. Obviously, if we're going to transform healthcare, cardiovascular disease has to lead the way. It, it absolutely does. It absolutely does. There's so many unmet needs. You know, you mentioned something, you, you talked a little bit about, about in the clinic, in the hospital, in, in the lab, but you also mentioned the home. And that's something that's really just started to take hold. What, what's your vision with, with home-based care or, or more uh, of the rural type care for these patients? Yes. So I think the, the basic foundation element is if you're a patient with cardiovascular disease, then you should be under the continuous, uninterrupted care of a cardiologist or a cardiovascular specialist. That you should not only be cared for when you're in the office or in the hospital, care should be provided to you continuously. So that means we deliver care differently. And the, another thesis that I think we all need to embrace is we need to build new and better care models. And we need to do that with the, with the, with the eye toward patients are always under our care. We can't provide care to 120 million Americans with cardiovascular disease by having them in the office in the hospital. They don't live their lives in an office or hospital. They live their lives home, at work, enjoying their grandkids, wherever they live, rural, remotely, inner city, whatever. So the first foundation element to your question, Scott, is patients should be our patients all the time, 24-7, 365, number one. Number two, it's 2022. Thank the Lord, technology has provided us the opportunity to interact and connect with patients all the time, wherever they live. We can reach and touch and care for those patients all the time, whether it's by the computer, by a remote patient monitoring, by phone, whatever the signal is, we can interact with those patients all the time. So to your, to your question, I believe we are getting ready to witness a transformation of care delivery and access like we've never seen before. And part of it is because of COVID, even though COVID has been terrible, I think we will look back 50 years from now that there was pre-COVID care delivery and there was post-COVID care delivery. And we have entered the post-COVID care delivery era. And then in that era, there are no longer walls and physical limits to care. Care is without physical limits. You do not need to be in a facility. You do not need to be eyeball to eyeball to receive care. And technology enables that. And COVID forced that upon us through telehealth and shifting patients out of the hospital. And that is never going to go back. We are in the post-COVID era now. As we've worked together so much, you, you talked so much about the, the quality of the patient experience and the challenges. If you're three hours away from a larger institution, the challenges that come with getting those patients care and being able to interact remotely being able to interact uh, on on a Skype or, or on a uh, go-to meeting or on a Zoom meeting and, and have care from your your physician it makes a difference in that in that quality of care that you get you're, you're at home you're comfortable yeah we have to think of the home as a locus of care 
And actually, we have to think of the patient body as a locus of care first, then the home, then office, travel, wherever they are. So the, the patient, as the patient moves, the care should move with the patient. If the, if the patient lives remotely, rurally, they need to be able to access care at an advanced level without physical limits. Care should not be only high quality if you live in the suburbs of Chicago, LA, Philadelphia, whatever. It should be high quality no matter where you are. It, ha- it has to be. I mean, if, if we're going to meet the needs of all of these patients as they age with their cardiovascular care, we absolutely have to be able to meet everyone's needs. Yep. Yeah. And, and so point of care, uh, it really takes on a different meaning, doesn't it? Is point of care a physical point or maybe it's a virtual point? Maybe it's both. I think it is. It's both. That we're, de- we're learning how to deliver care at the point of care, you know, deliver value at the point of care by both physical and virtual means. And that's where technology meets healthcare. And that's where advanced technology and, and things that we are learning about, very sophisticated uh, technology, it's so sophisticated, it can be brought to your home or brought to the rural areas. That's It's kind of like the paradox. You would think high sophistication means it's only available at Cleveland Clinic or Mayo Clinic or the, the big university academic medical center. No, the definition of sophistication today is it can be brought to where the patient is. As we were working together, we, we talked often about the triple aim of healthcare and how important that was. And as COVID started to take effect and as COVID got worse and worse and as the unfortunate thing that all the, the healthcare givers in our, in our country and around the world had to deal with the being overworked, the stress of not knowing what COVID was, how they would catch it, if their families would catch it. It, it obviously took a mental and physical toll on caregivers. And then we started to talk about the quadruple aim of healthcare and how important it was for, for those caregivers. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you see now as, as cost is obviously so important, but, but we're also really worried about those people who give us care on a day-to-day basis as well. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, some people have referred to it as the great attrition uh, some have called it the great resignation, uh, but we have uh, really over the last two years created an environment where being a clinician has brought with it such uh, witnessing of suffering and lack of resources and the lack of being able to do things. And then watching people, patients suffer without their families being able to visit them. The human mental toll is just inconceivable. And so if you're a caregiver at the front line, a nurse, a nurse practitioner, PA, physician, your, your experience in the last two years is uh, unforgettable. It is something that uh, has, made, has, has had a big mental health toll on workers, people at the front lines. That's why we've seen many nurses say, I want to leave nursing. I just I want to go find something else to do. I can't do this. And then the hospitals are really suffering. Yeah, so this is one of the things we need to be mindful of. We need, this is another reason why we need to use the hospitals sparingly. They're appropriate for many types of patients, but they can't staff the beds that they have license for. They can't do it. Uh, there's, you know, there's patients that are waiting in the ED called ED boarding. 
they're waiting to get taken to a bed. Yeah, so yeah, the the impact of COVID has been on this on this fourth item of the quadruple aim: clinician well-being. The clinician well-being has suffered, and we need to think any solution we have that can relieve some of the burden, mental burden, physical burden, intellectual burden, emotional burden, is going to be important because we need nurses to take care of patients. Somebody reminded me one time, the only reason somebody is in a hospital, a short-term acute care hospital, by definition, is they need 24-7 nursing care, not 24-7 physician care, 24-7 nursing care. And if you don't have nurses, you don't have a hospital. You don't have a hospital, then you don't have that highly advanced uh, service. So we need to, again, think through this in this post-COVID era, how are we going to retool care delivery so that we can meet the needs of patients without maybe having all the bed staffed? Uh, we're probably not going to see a return to nursing the way we would like to have. And those nurses are not coming back. Many docs aren't coming back. So we need to create, every, all of us in healthcare need to think about, is the solution I'm developing relieving a burden for the nurse or adding a burden? Is it relieving a burden for the doc or adding a burden? Because anything that adds a burden, it's not going to be incorporated into the workflow. They don't have the time. They're already under pressure. It's such a fascinating topic and it's so hard to, to think about. I mean, I, I can, I've, when we were in the thick of COVID and it was early, no one knew what was going on. I talked to some of my physician friends and I'm sure you had this multiple times that I did, but they were scared to go home. They didn't, they didn't know if they could give it to their families. They didn't know how they were catching it or what was going to go on. And it's, it's bad enough when you're looking this, this scary scenario as somebody who's taken an oath to serve patients to go in and fight this all day long, but then to have to go home and worry about your family. Um, it, it was a traumatic time in, in our lives. And, and, it's we're, we're going to be dealing with this with this for a long time, because like you said, a lot of physicians and a lot of, of uh, nurses are saying, I cannot do this anymore. Yep. I'm just burned out. Yeah, it's again, that's the human toll. And those of us who are in healthcare at any level, whether we're operating a healthcare facility or supporting one, we need to consider what can we do to create a better environment that will provide clinician well-being, that will provide some relief, that will provide a better way for that individual to take care of the patients in front of them. And let's face it, even the best of run hospitals before COVID didn't have the best of environments for their staff to work in. There were resource issues, there were workflow issues, whatever. And now we we put the entire American healthcare system under a giant stress test called COVID-19. And we've found the weak spots, and there were many. And we're going to have to go back and, and look at this kind of in a, in a post, you know, post hoc way and say, all right, what can we learn from better preparing ourselves in the future? But also, what can we learn from the environment? What can we learn from the human aspect? And the human aspect, as we know, if you don't take that into consideration, this, again, that's why the quadruple aim is so important. You can't improve quality, lower cost, and improve the patient experience, the triple aim, if you've got clinicians who are walking off the field. And, and no one to care for those patients. Exactly. So, Tim, we often look at new technologies. And as, at, 
as your role at the ACC, you've seen new technologies come into come into the marketplace and add value to patients' lives time and time again. And here at CoreVista, we're obviously focused on on bringing a new technology to the market that we think can can help in cardiovascular care. Um, as as you've been working on CVA USA, it's interesting to see now with with the rise, the aging population, and the challenges we've seen within hospitals that that we're starting to see private equity groups and, and investors get involved in the actual care side of things. Is that something you thought you'd see routinely? Uh, no, <laughs> I did not think I would see, you know, but yeah, it, it were, we're it's, it's an interesting time. As you know, we, we see a lot of troubled waters and we're, we're walking out of COVID you know, kind of limping and tongues hanging out and worn out emotionally and physically and financially as a, as a nation. Uh, COVID has brought some good news in that we have tested virtual health, telehealth, remote monitoring, and, and it works. We've tested some AI solutions and they work. We've tested new locus of care that everybody doesn't need to go to the hospital, it works. But we need capital. We're, we're gonna rebuild the American healthcare system. Again, new care model, new payment model. And to do that, you need dollars, and people to lead the way. And I see private equity as being capable of providing the dollars and to support them the intellectual resources, the intellectual uh, property needed to drive a new care delivery system. And I I think we are in that era where uh, COVID has created an opportunity for us to rethink and reshape care And, and new technologies need to be weighed against their ability, again, to reach, to improve reach, to improve outcomes, and to lower cost, and do all of that without adding that burden on the clinicians. Yeah, so I, I, I think that is the, that's the filter. If you can provide a solution that improves quality, that improves the clinician's ability to, to identify a disease state and manage it, and it lowers the overall cost of care, the patient experience is made better and the clinicians feel like they've got something they ever had in their hand before that will make a difference. That's, that is the quadruple aim that you've just brought together. That's the, not the trifecta, that's the quadfecta. <laughs> and that's what we need today. You know, it's, it's, it's just always so great to talk to you because I always try to put myself in the patient's shoes and what we can do for the patient, but you're so heartfelt and well thought out about exactly what needs to be done to make the patient uh, more comfortable in their care, get the best care, and and have the most successful system around caring for that patient. It's, it's always great to uh, hear all the things you have to say about that. We've, we've talked a little bit about the quadruple aim and the challenges that the healthcare system and the healthcare givers have, have had to go through with COVID. Do you, do you have any uh, feedback on what's happened with the emergency departments as we've been dealing with COVID and, and some of the strains and challenges that they've seen? Any, any experiences with that? Well, they're, they're the front door of the, of the hospital. So, yeah, they, uh, they have suffered uh, significantly because in two ways. That's the entry point for these patients with symptoms. If the rest of the house is full, or maybe it's, it's full because we don't have the nurses to staff all the beds. I know from my experience where the patients stay. They stay in the ED. 
And the ED then becomes a nursing unit. It becomes a critical care unit. It becomes an ICU on top of everything else happening. So the toll on the EDs have been, has been even higher than the toll on the rest of the hospital. Yeah, so it's, a, it's an intensity level that it's just hard to imagine when you have patients that need to be in a hospital bed that can't be in that bed because the bed's got other patients or that bed's available, but there's no nurse for that bed. So you're a nurse in the emergency room and you're doing the best you can to take care of more patients than what you should be taking care of because of the overwhelming demand. Uh, and ED boarding, if, if anybody does a little research, they would find that ED boarding is a problem all across the country. And the longer you spend in an ED as a patient, the, the, less, the, the less likely it is you will have a good outcome of your interaction because that is just not the place you want to stay long-term. The nurses are already stretched. The resources are stretched. They can't give her the same attention. As good as they are, you ask one human being to take care of 12 patients in an ED, they can't do it. Especially not only are they dealing with the chaos of people coming in, then they're supposed to they're supposed to take care of patients in beds. I, I, I couldn't imagine the stress level. Yeah, it's, it's just uh, bad. It's a bad combination. But again, these are people that they don't want to turn anybody away. They have a sense of, of obligation to take care of patients. But Again, we, we've spent a lot of time in healthcare uh, banking on the good intentions and of, uh, of healthcare workers, and they've reached VMAX. They're beyond VMAX. We can't ask them to do anything more. We're, we're done. They need relief. They need some better approach. And so systems that do that, hospitals that do that, healthcare systems that do that, they will uh, be able to retain their workers. But those who don't, they're going to have these chronic problems. So it's back to the you know, kind of that fundamental issue. How do we relieve the burden of the frontline worker? It seems like CVA USA can, can help with that. Well, we're, we're going to have to help with that. If we don't do that, then we failed the system. We failed our partners. How do you see emergency department care changing then with, with all of these, these stresses that have seemingly almost broken what, what's happening? So I think we have to look inside the ED demand, and let's just say we're post-COVID, we're beyond the COVID world. If you look at ED demand, what percentage of patients who show up at an ED really need to be in an ED at a short-term acute care hospital? And what you will see there is probably 40 to 50%, maybe higher in some places, don't need to be in the ED. All right, so now we look for the alternative care delivery. What is that alternative care delivery? It's, again, back to better monitoring at home or if they're in a skilled care facility. Look at the number of patients that get transferred to a hospital from a skilled care facility because the skilled care facility doesn't know what to do. So we got to think about skilled care facilities, nursing homes, uh, assisted living facilities, people at home, people in the primary care office, people in the rural area, how do we deliver that service better there? And the, the other part of this is we're seeing the development right now of cardiac urgent care centers where patients with cardiovascular disease don't go to the ED. They go to an urgent care center that is staffed by cardiovascular professionals equipped with resources to very quickly and at low cost diagnose the patient. And is this a life-threatening condition? Remember, that's the purpose of the ED. 
rule in or rule out life-threatening. If it's life-threatening, get admitted. If it's not life-threatening, go home. Do we need an ED to make that decision? I submit we don't. We need an ED for a lot of those patients, but urgent care, remote care, virtual care could provide an alternative and avoid a lot of those ED visits. So if we could peel away some of those cardiovascular-related ED visits, we would relieve the ED, let the ED focus on the types of patients it should focus on, which are the higher acuity, severity patients more likely to have a life-threatening condition, and let the other patients get access to care without going to the ED. Cardiovascular urgent care is fascinating because you're going to be able to put the specialists in those in those uh, urgent cares that know everything about cardiovascular care and better pair, care for those patients, and it's going to be specifically tailored to them. That's that sounds like right. It's fascinating, and it's it will be billed. It is billed as a physician office. You don't have the ED side of care, which takes you know, the cost of a, of a visit takes it times ten. Everything is taken times 10 in the ED. Your physician visit, your imaging, everything's taken times 10. Let's do it in the, in the urgent care center. So, so I think, again, we, we have to be smarter about how we deliver the care. Yes, those patients have an urgent situation, but it may not be life-threatening. How many of those even need to leave the skilled care facility? All right, let's avoid the transfer altogether. How many of them need to leave home? So let's bring the care to where the patient is. That's the theme. Patients at home, bring the care to them. Patients in skilled care, bring it to them. Critical access, bring it to them. They're at a cardiac urgent care center, let's take care of it there. All of that improves quality, lowers cost, improves the patient experience, and provides for a better experience for the clinicians. We do achieve the, the quadruple aim, but we gotta think smarter and we gotta leverage technology. Tim, thank you so much for being part of the core. This has been a fantastic discussion. I cannot thank you enough. To learn more or listen to more episodes of the core, please visit us at corevista.com. Please note, the Core Vista system is an investigational device limited by federal law to investigational use and is not available for commercial distribution.